Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This week's message outline, if you'd like to use that, is on the back of your bulletin. If you're there in chapter 5, back up maybe a page or two to chapter 3, verse 22. This is what Solomon has been teaching since then. And that's where we're at in chapter 5. He said in chapter 3, verse 22, I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? A man should rejoice in his works, for that is his heritage. He then told us in chapter 4 about circumstances that can keep you from enjoying your work. We looked at a number of things there. Now in chapter 5, verse 1, down through chapter 6, verse 9, he's going to walk through different ways that keep you from enjoying the fruits of your labor, that uh, keep you from enjoying the earnings or the results of your work. He begins, verses 1 to 7, and he kind of works from the top down. He begins in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, and showing how God can keep you from enjoying the ultimate lasting fruits, results of your work. And then in verses 8 and 9, we'll see in about a month how government oppression can cause you to result in losing riches. And then verses 10 to 12, your own covetousness can keep you from enjoying. This makes sense, doesn't it? If you're always covetous, what you've got is never enough. You always need to have more. And then in uh, chapter 13 to the end, uh, to verse 17, uh, working solely for wealth. You just need to keep working to get more. That results in misery. Note this again. Solomon starts with God, and then he comes down to government, and then he comes down to ourselves there. Here in chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, we have quite a picture here. We have a picture of a reckless worshiper. He's controlled by a, a fantasy idea that I can worship God as I please. I can offer to, uh, some kind of commitment to God, and he's going to fulfill it. He kind of makes a deal with God. If I do this, then God will do that. And then, to top it all off, He'll say, well, I really didn't mean it. In verse 6. Worship flows from your character. We see this here. This guy's worship flowed from his character, who he really is. This guy thinks he can just rush in to the temple, do as he pleases, and God is okay with that. That is presumptuous. It's presuming. It's assuming God's going to be okay with this because I think it's okay. That is presumptuous. This guy also thinks that he can make big promises to God and go back on them. And God's okay with that. That's a hypocrite. One who says one thing and then does the exact opposite. What will happen to this guy with all that he's earned 
and all that he's worked for. God tells us at the end of verse 6, why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the works of your hands? So we see that the point Solomon is making here, I put on the, the top of the back of your bulletin here, if you are a presumptuous hypocrite, you'll waste your life and God will cause you to lose everything that you've worked for. But what Solomon does here, he doesn't just tell us this event that happens. He wants you to avoid that. He helps you to guard against being a presumptuous hypocrite in your worship and your character so that you don't waste your life. Now, don't forget, Solomon is speaking as a Jew. He's speaking as a Jew to Israel. He's speaking as a Jew to Israel that was under the Mosaic law in Judah, in Israel, and that's how they worship, through the Levitical uh, priests, Levitical sacrifices, and there's a whole lot going on. We are not Jews. We are not in Israel. This is not the temple. The church is the temple, but that's a different thing that's going on there. Okay, And so we need to understand what's being said here so that we can make right application. First Solomon says in verses 1 to 3, don't be a presumptuous worshiper And there are three necessary heart characteristics of true worship. We're going to learn about worship here. This has been a great blessing for me. Is worship a divisive thing in churches today? Has it been? Not just for decades, centuries, if not the entire history of the church, if not back into Israel, okay. As long as there's been human hearts all the way back to Cain and Abel, There's been differences and problems there. We are going to learn about worship. Three necessary heart characteristics of true worship, which are the opposite of the presumptuous worshiper. Number one, be obedient. Be obedient. Solomon says here, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Two aspects of this obedience Solomon talks about here. The first, when he says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God, you need to show care. Show care in your obedience. Walk prudently. The idea is watch your step, watch your behavior in your worship, watch your attitude. Watch your character. And this comes from where? Your heart. Out of the heart. And so your heart must be oriented toward obedient worship to the Lord. This is in contrast to fools. Fools are only thinking about themselves. They only think about themselves. And that sins and offends God. When you're presumptuous, and you note the quotes here, okay? Because remember, there's a difference between Old Testament and New Testament, and this is used a lot today. Uh, When you're presumptuous and you come into God's presence, have you heard that expression before in worship? We're going to come into the very presence of God, and you come into God's presence, 
And where two or three are gathered, what do we have present? Who do we have present with us? The Lord Jesus. When we come together, and if you're presumptuous, then there's going to be a casualness. You're not going to be concerned. You're going to be uh, focused on yourself. You're not caring. How should I worship God? This is not a create your own worship thing that God just lets you do on your own. He is God, as we will see, and we must obey him. A second characteristic or aspect of obedience is in the rest of, part, rest of verse 1. Draw near to hear rather than to give sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil, is that of consideration or concentration. Consideration or concentration. A focused obedience. Not merely, yeah, I hear you, but listening to learn, to understand. To appreciate, to obey, to love your God. Listening means you're teachable. Will fools listen? Are fools teachable? No, they are not. They're only focused on themselves. How will it make me feel? What will it do for me? The sacrifice of fools here in this verse is that idea of just kind of a going through the motions, worship or religion. The tongue is busy, the actions are busy, but the heart, the mind, it's somewhere else. Does this remind you of a passage we read earlier today from Isaiah 1? They were just going through the motions, but their heart was completely opposite of the Lord. They do not know that they do evil, spiritually clueless, unaware of the true character of their worship. Folks, in our worship, you're supposed to be clued in. You're supposed to be concentrating in your obedience to the Lord. Going to and being in God's temple, as it were, is a serious thing. Casual is dangerous. It's thoughtless. And that's the mark of a a fool or an um, unbelieving Point of application, our church gatherings, meetings, are not a tit-for-tat like the temple. And I'm thankful for that. Because I don't like blood and killing things, you know, and wrenching the necks of birds and not gone far enough, haven't I, okay? But they had in the Old Testament. They're not tit-for-tat like the temple. But when we gather, is Jesus present? Is God's word heard? And must there be a right response to this? We must obey him. If there was ever, if there is ever a time for obeying God to a T, it is in our public worship. A second characteristic Heart characteristic of a a true worshiper is in contrast to the presumptuous worshiper, verse 2, is to be thoughtful. Be thoughtful. Do not be rash with your mouth. Do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. 
For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Don't be rash with your mouth. That means hasty, quick, acting without thinking or considering, doing and saying the first thing that comes to your mind. But I'm being authentic. No. What's the first necessary characteristic? Obedience. And number two here, thoughtful. This kind of a person who's rash with his mouth, he speaks before he thinks. He must think before he speak. Why do you need to do this? He tells us in verse 2 at the end. For that's giving us the reason. God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. I would encourage you not only to underline that part, but memorize it. That is a great truth to have in your mind at all times. God is in heaven and you are on earth and he is everywhere. He knows all things and he is the one that we will give an account to for every idle word that comes from our mouths. God is in heaven and you are on earth. He's transcendent and infinite and knows all things. But we are not. I am reminded of Isaiah 6, which we'll read uh, soon together. Remember Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 4? Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, surrounded by angels. And what are those angels always saying as they're covering themselves because they're not worthy to be open? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And do you remember Isaiah's response after he saw all this in Isaiah 6, 5? Woe, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. That is what you and I must keep in mind when we gather to worship the same God. Keep in mind, be thoughtful. That guards you from being a presumptuous worshiper. The conclusion, let your words be few, because what's in your heart will be heard from your mouth. Again, application. Our church meetings aren't the same as the temple. We don't have all kind of gold things. It is simple. Intentionally. Do we worship the same God? Yes. The God who is above all. And he is holy. He is in heaven. And we are on earth. Who God is must control how you worship. That is an important principle. Who God is must control how you worship. Worship is more concerned with the the mind and the heart than the glands and the emotions and a created experience. It does not mean that we are unemotional, but it is controlled by thinking in our hearts. Worship of the holy God in heaven is not to be characterized or controlled by sinful man on earth. Let me say that again. Worship of the high and holy God in heaven is not to be characterized or controlled by sinful man on earth. If there's ever a time 
for focused, right thinking about God. When is that time? When we gather for worship. A third characteristic, heart characteristic, necessary to guard against being a presumptuous worker. Number three is a presumptuous hypocrite is number three, to be truth controlled. To be truth controlled. Verse three, a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by as many words. Dreams, newsflash, are not real. They're what? Dreams, okay? You ever gotten up in the morning and say, boy, did I have a dream, okay? They're not real. They're imaginary. They're parts of our subconscious that are coming out. And we wake up and we say, oh, I'm glad that wasn't real. Can I give a personal testimony of a dream I woke up from this week and I was so glad it was a dream? In my subconsciousness waking up, I was dreaming that all the chairs were not in place for the Sunday service. People are bringing them here and there. I couldn't find my Bible. I couldn't find my sermon notes. Oh, and my sermon wasn't done yet. The anxiety that was in my heart. I woke up, my heart was doing this. And I was worried. And sure enough, my blood sugar was low. That's typically how things go for me. I have weird, wacky dreams when my blood sugar is low and I wake up. I was glad that was a dream and not true. And it was fake. When you disobey God, what's the point here? When you disobey God, verse 1, when you're rash and hasty before him, verse 2, and you think God's okay with that, your heart character is on full display. A foolish dreamer. It's not real. It's a figment. That is not true at all. You're in a fantasy, fantasy world, not the real world, not the true world. And how foolish and how disobedient it is to be this way before God who is in heaven. Every aspect of our public worship must be obedient and sincere. The fool's voice is known by his many words. That's how we, we know that. Worshiping the true God who's in heaven must be controlled by truth, not made up, man-made fantasies and imaginary things. It's not a time for, for sin, for thoughtless, rash, unthinking, dreamy fantasies. If there's ever a time to be controlled by truth, when is that? When we gather for worship. When your focus in life and worship is number one, an obeying God who's in heaven? When you're listening to him and you're controlled by truth, that is a life well lived. The second part of Solomon's warning here is verses four to seven, where he says, don't be a hypocritical worshiper. So how can you be a genuine worshiper, not a hypocritical one? Well, number one, to be a genuine worshiper, not a hypocritical one, number one, you must be serious. You must be serious, verses four and five. Let's look at that. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. 
Pay what you vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Be serious. So what were these vows that were made in Old Testament times? They were a serious commitment made to God. A solemn, voluntary commitment. Emphasis on there. Voluntary. They weren't forced to. It was a choice that they made. They would commit to do something for God or give something to God. Let me give you two examples from the Old Testament. First is in Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 to 22. Just write it down. I'll go there. Genesis 28, verses 20 to 22. Uh, Jacob is on his way. He left his home because, well, what did he steal from Esau? Lots of things. Esau wanted to kill him. So he's on his way. Uh, and jo- Jacob says this. It says in Genesis 28, verses 20 to 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Boy, he made a number of vows there. He will be my God. This place is going to be a place of worship, a Bethel, a house of God. And I'm going to give God a tenth of everything that I have. Another example, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. Hannah did not have children. Loved by her husband, but she wanted a son. And she said this, 1 Samuel 1, 11, She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, God who is in heaven, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Did the Lord answer Jacob's prayer? Did the Lord answer Hannah's prayer? No. Vows or voluntary commitments to the Lord. And Solomon says here, when you make a vow to God, don't delay to pay it. God doesn't take pleasure in fools. Fools are not serious about their commitments. He quotes and verse, he gives verse 5 a proverb, better to vow than to vow and not pay. This is based in Deuteronomy 23, 22. Deuteronomy 23, 22 says, If you abstain from vowing, it shall not be a sin to you. Solomon knew his Bible. He knew the law. This is the law. He made it into a proverb. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Let's put it in our, pers- in our language. Don't play games with God. Don't play games with God. You told God who is in heaven, you would do something. What does God think of someone who talks a lot, who makes lots of commitments, but never does it, never fulfills it? That person's a liar, a hypocrite. Again, that's a casual approach to God. It is not serious, and we must be serious. Now, 
And in our church age, think about your New Testaments. Do we have provision made for offering vows? No, not really. So how do we apply this? Well, I can think of one very simple one. What happens in a profession of faith? A profession of faith, you repent of sin. You say, I'm not going to rely on my works, thinking that that's going to save me anymore. Instead, rather, I rely wholly, completely, entirely on the Lord Jesus Christ. Fully God and fully man. Who lived a perfect life, who died for sin and rose again. He's the only one who can save me. And I profess to trust in him. And that faith is not just a head knowledge, is it? It's a heart acceptance and a submission of the will. What of your profession of faith? Is that a vow? It is. It's an act of obedience to the message that you heard. And this is serious. Have you made a profession of faith before the Lord? God has no pleasures, no pleasure in fools. Have you made a profession of faith, but you live how you want? You think you got your ticket punched to escape hell? You can think how you want. You can direct your life how you want, independently of God. Are you a casual, as it were, Christian? It's an impossibility. Have you made a commitment because mom and dad wanted me to, or it seemed like the good thing, or everybody else was? I'm just kind of going along, and I don't want to be different from my friends. If there is ever a time to be serious about and before God, it is in our public worship. To be genuine and not hypocritical as a worshiper of God, number two, you must be truthful, verses six and seven. You must be truthful. Verse six, we see here how God judges lying worshipers. Verse six, God judges lying worshipers. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say, that, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? So, verses uh, 4 and 5, you make a vow. You publicly, in that time, you would go in the temple and say, if God does this, then I will do this. Or, I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to make it look good. We need $4,500. And somebody raises their hand, I'll give $5,000. And not to be outdone, you say, I'll give $6,000. And it almost sounds like an auction, doesn't it? Well, what would happen back then? The temple, either the priest or one of their ministers here, as the word is kind of used, the messenger, uh, we'll call him a vow collector, okay? He would come and knock on your door and claim what was promised. What did this guy do, this hypocrite? It was an error. Leviticus 4. It's a sin of ignorance. I, I really didn't mean it. I, you know, there's been a mistake, and I didn't 
I'm not intentionally, I'm not intentionally thumbing my nose at God. I'm not sitting with a high hand, the Old Testament expression. It, it was a mistake. I really didn't mean it. Does God see and know hearts? No. People can be fooled. God can't. God sees this as intentional. He would see this as with a high hand. Outright disdain for God. Write down Proverbs 20, verse 25. Proverbs 20, verse 25. It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. God said he would destroy lying worshipers. Deuteronomy 23, 21, that this is based on. Deuteronomy 23, 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. In the Old Testament, when you love the Lord, when you're faithful to the Lord, God would rain blessings on you. Your barns would be full. You'd have 800 children. Well, maybe not 800 kids. But you'd, your, your wife wouldn't miscarry. And you'd have wonderful physical blessings. Conversely, in the Old Testament, if you disobeyed God, what would happen? He'd curse you. That's the context of this passage here. God judges lying worshipers. Verse 7. In the multitude of dreams and many words, there's also vanity, but fear God. I put it this way. Don't be frivolous. Fear the Lord. Don't be frivolous, but fear the Lord. And the idea of frivolous here is kind of here or there, familiar. God's my buddy. He's the big fellow in the sky. It pains me to even say these things. But this is the attitude that people have about the Lord who's in heaven. We have three words here. Dreams. Three words I want to draw your attention to. Dreams, words, and vanity. The idea of these all together is that fools in worship have big mouths. They have a big mouth. These are all associated together, and that's the point. They like to hear themselves, and they want others to hear that. Instead, fear God. Remember, what is the fear of the Lord? A reverent faith in Jesus Christ, exclusively loving, obeying, and worshiping he who you will, he, the one you will give an account to, a, a reverent faith in Jesus Christ, exclusively loving, obeying, and worshiping the one that you will give an account to. Don't treat God as a good old buddy. He is God, and you are not. If there was ever a time to be truthful, it's in public worship. Let's review what we've seen here. Fools presume to worship God, and they are disobedient, they're rash and unthoughtful, they're controlled by fantasies, not truth, they're hypocrites, and they're liars that God will judge. What's a hypocrite? He thinks God loves everyone and everyone's going to heaven. The hypocrite doesn't care about learning. He's just there to make an appearance and having a good time. He doesn't care who God is. He lives in a dream world, a fantasy world. He's just here to make a show. He doesn't really want to serve God. 
He'll make a, a, a promise about it, but he doesn't intend to. He'll make a spiritual commitment, but he excuses himself. God in heaven sees presumptuous hypocrites for what they really are. And they might right now enjoy a lot of material prosperity in life, but three passages, scripture truths to keep in mind then. First, Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto men once to die, and then what? The judgment. A second passage, Luke 12, verse 20. Luke 12, verse 20. A rich man had everything, built his barns, going to tear down, tear him down, build others. And what did God say to him? You fool, tonight your soul is required of you. All that he gave his life for, gone. Worthless. He wasted his life. Third passage, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. It talks about the cowardly and unbelieving and lists all kinds of terrible sins and even liars have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. doesn't say anything about how big of an estate they had, how many Instagram followers, how much fun they had, the money in the bank, but their sin before the Lord. Christian, look at these five characteristics that you have on the sheet here that Solomon tells us about. Obedient, thoughtful, truth-controlled, serious, and truthful. When those characteristics of a God-pleasing worshiper, when those characterize your life, you won't waste your life. Some points of application here. Number one, never forget whom you worship. The one that you worship must control how you worship. We are sadly prone, because of our fallen human sinful nature, we are sadly prone to make worship about us, to make it about growing the church, even about entertainment. But worship is about whom? God, who is in heaven. What about the I didn't mean it? Once in a while, we will sing what are sometimes called hymns of commitment. When you sing that hymn of commitment, you're committing yourself to the Lord. Like what hymn? Well, one, for example, that's in both our hymnals. Take my life and... Let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in, well, praise once a week. No, let them flow in what? Sleep, ceaseless praise. And then it talks about my tongue, my mind, my riches. When you sing that and you're not obedient and thoughtful, if you're casual and just going through the motions, that's an Isaiah, almost an Isaiah 1 situation. Folks, God is present with us. Your Savior is. This is serious. 
when a holy reverence for God is lost, something else is going to take its place. And I guarantee you, it will not be from the Lord. A second point of application, unbelievers involved in worship. Can unbelievers come to our worship services? Absolutely. Scriptural evidence, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 and 25. That is just demands even more that our worship is focused on the Lord and glorifying Him and not being something weird and entertaining and all that because they'd be coming in and be like, what in the world is going on here? Instead of seeing God for who He is and then rightly seeing themselves and then repenting and trusting in Christ. But when unbelievers are involved in directing worship, they're convinced their worship is correct. Their heart is in it 100%. They really mean it. They're genuine. They're sincere. But it is evil. They do not know that they do evil. End of verse 1. God sees and knows how foolish How foolish to adapt the worship of God in heaven to man on earth. Number three, listening to God is fundamental in public worship. This is not, uh, it shouldn't surprise us then that in the New Testament, does the New Testament tell us what we're supposed to do in our worship? Sure does. Sure does. Read the scripture. And what does that involve? Listening to hear and to learn. It involves the teaching of Scripture. And what does that involve? Listening, again, to learn and to to involve. The singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And what does that involve? Oh, I got you there, Pastor. It involves us singing. And yeah, you're not only singing, but what else are you doing? You are listening, teaching and admonishing one another. The psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And when we're praying, are you just sitting there while someone else is praying, twiddling your thumbs, wondering when it's going to be done? No, you are what? Listening and participating. That means think. Be involved. As opposed to feeling and expressing. Turn with me in your New Testaments. To 2 Timothy chapter 4. So that you can see this from a New Testament passage. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I will come back to the point of the text. But this is some important things we need to see, learn from here about our worship. 2 Timothy 4. follow as I read verse 3. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Does that actually mean that, boy, my ear is really, yeah, I've got a bad itch right now. No. They're wanting to hear something. And they're not wanting to hear truth from God They want to hear what I want to hear, what sounds good to me. And so they'll turn away that apostasy. They'll turn away from the truth to lies. 
But what are we supposed to do? Verse 2. Preach the word when? In season and out of season. All the time. And he tells us how there. When worship is like unbelievers, Ecclesiastes 5.1. Rash speech. Verse 2. Fantastic innovations. Quick commitments. It presumes to know what God wants. Instead of listening to what God wants. True worship is not a recreational event. It's supposed to be reverent. This is not a recreational thing. This is a time for reverence before God. It results in a genuine commitment, not a quick, lukewarm commitment. It pleases Christ, but the presumptuous hypocrite pleases man. Don't waste your life and throw everything away and lose it all. How much sense does that make? How much sense does it make to devote 60, 70 years of your short little life on this earth and it mean nothing? It's completely gone, vaporized. How much sense does that make? Zero, doesn't it? Zero sense. That is crazy. That is a frustrating thing to understand why in the world you would do that. It is vanity, Ecclesiastes. It makes no sense. And so, have a reverent, obedient, listening, careful approach to the Lord in your worship. Because when that is there, that will also characterize your everyday life. These characteristics shouldn't only be here on Sunday. They should be there through all your life. And when it is, you'll be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and it won't be vain.